Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoy today's safety talk. Good morning, everyone. I want to thank you for having Debbie and I here today. Many of you know Debbie. I'm her partner in crime, as she likes to call me. So many of you have probably (laughs) seen us around at different events and so forth. But again, we just appreciate the opportunity to be here today. What we want to talk about, again, is just it's a fresh start, new year, recharging your workers' compensation program. Many of you have probably been working from home or in some other type of environment that isn't your normal going to the office every day. So we're just going to cover a few topics today, partnerships, tools and resources, return to work options and programs, and just give you a few tips on how to recharge that workers' comp program and, again, just get back into the groove of things. I'm going to go ahead and start things off with topic of partnerships. So something that we value and that as employers, we want to make sure that you know that these people that I've listed here are available to you. So I just wanted to touch on some, I guess, bullet points on what these partners, what relationships you should be having with them. And if not, like Wendy said, we just want to retake a look at that. We've gotten out of the, uh, you know, the normal, so to say. So now that things are, um, you know, heading in the right direction, we may start getting back into some of our normal routines. And if not, this is also a good way to just uh, do kind of a checks and balance. So I want to start off with the MCO partnership, and that's actually what our company does. We are the medical portion of the workers' compensation. Just as an FYI, MCOs are selected by individual employers. So that open enrollment period for MCOs is going to be coming up this May, actually. It was pushed from last year to this May. So it'll be the month of May to um, make an MCO selection or change. But all employers have to have a managed care organization. There is no fee for the services that the uh, MCO would provide. And again, they are your medical management team. So as a partner, you should be getting from them if you have active claims. You should be getting updates from them on a regular basis. Also, assisting you with um, any provider updates or guidance. We recently had heard or that they are changing. Uh, we follow the ODG guidelines. That's going to be changing for us going forward. So those types of updates. Also, if a provider leaves, comes, goes, et cetera, those are things that the MCO would help you with. Wendy's going to talk a little bit more about some additional things that has to do with the providers. But um, again, We want to make sure that you are aware of who's out there for your people, who they should be going to see should they be injured at work. MCO should also be providing return to work options. Again, it's not always clear and cut as, you know, we would love that medical only claim and they come back to work right away. But again, what are some options that you have? Also, training. We, uh, Wendy and I go out and train with our employers, um, some of them on an annual basis. So if that's ever something that you are looking to do, I would suggest reaching out to them to see what they would offer as far as training goes. Wendy and I include in what we do is going to be just going through our injury packet and talking about the importance of filing a claim in a a timely manner and what to do when someone is injured. We also supply reports. Something that, you know, as Nick mentioned, is we have a handful of resources between Wendy and I. We have a lot of years of experience in the field. So I know I go to Nick a lot, too, as a resource, and I want to thank him for that. But again, um, having those contacts out there is going to be very important. And then also the MCO should be providing any BWC updates or deadlines and programs. We are very lucky to have Nick as part of our safety council because I feel that he really gives us the information as he becomes aware of it. So I want to thank him for that. As far as your TPA, your third-party administrator, that is going to be a yearly contract. You pay a fee to that third-party administrator. They're going to be your direct advocate. They are going to be looking at the financial impact of um, your current experience and then also projecting out where you're going to be going or where you're headed with the claims that you do or don't have on your experience. They will also be um, directing you on whether you should be certifying, rejecting, giving input, coming up with strategies. They will also give you the financial impact to that. So I always say the scope of what the TPA has is really large because they have to be looking at a lot of different moving parts, so to say. 
a lot of projecting when it comes to the, the TPA. They are also going to be looking at cost containment strategies. So is settlement a good option of a claim? Um, handicap reimbursement. They will also be working with the MCO hand-in-hand on return to work. That is both of the MCO and the TPA's goals is going to be some type of return to work. Salary continuation, if that's an option. And then something that I wanted to mention that I've seen a lot more is with more employers being in group retro funding, just make sure when you're talking about settlement of claims, I know that they like to respond back and say that, yep, the settlement for the group is going to impact them this way. Well, that's great. It's going to save everyone money, but make sure you know how it's going to help you individually. Um, the goal, you know, is always, you know, cream of the crop is to get in back into group rating. So look at those options. Also, there are the rates and the predictions. So again, when I talk about group or group retro, they're going to be talking to you about every year. They're going to talk to you about where or you should be going, where you're headed, what's going to be the best options for you as far as group, group retro. Uh, individual retro, etc. They should also be giving you your EM, which is your experience modifier, or EMR, your experience modifier rate. That's going to tell us all, everybody, if you're a safe employer, if you've had claims, etc. Uh, we always want that EM to be under a one, and um, that kind of dictates how your rates are driven. You want to know your your expected losses. What is the bureau? Ex- Expecting you to lose every year, that number changes. It's based on the type of industry you're in, those manual classifications that you pay payroll on. So you're going to want to make sure that you know what is my expected losses for the year, and then you also want to know what is your TML, your total modified losses. So again, having ongoing conversations with the TPA and the MCO, we do a lot of quarterly biannual type of meetings to make sure that we're always giving reports so that everyone knows where the employer is as a whole. They will also provide hearing representation for you. They will be letting you know whether they think you need to be in attendance. Most of those hearings right now are um, being done um, online as well. So also, they're going to give you any BWC updates or programs, deadlines, etc. that they hear about. So again, we want to make sure that you, you know who your team is, something that I think is important, I think, and sometimes frustrating. We're in the, we're in the age of in, instantaneous responses, right? We expect when someone asks a question, you get a response right away. So again, make sure you have that accessibility. You know who your team is on both, for both, from both of those parties. And again, I think it'll make things go a lot smoother. You can schedule conference calls and Zoom calls. And I know we've been able to go on site to a few locations now. Things are starting to open up a little bit. So again, just make sure that you um, have those, you know, those bullet points that I touched on. And if, again, if you guys have any questions, feel free to throw it in the chat or reach out to Wendy and I after, of course. The provider partnership is going to be very important. Keep in mind that in the area where you know, out in Portage, you guys are limited to providers. So it's important that the provider and you understand you're actually a customer of that provider. So it's important to meet with them, set up your profile, talk about communication methods. You know, how are you going to get information when someone's injured and what your expectation as an employer is as far as turnaround time on paperwork? Um, you know, those Medco 14s are really important. So make sure that you are really building those relationships. Wendy and I do help employers with that. So I would suggest if you need any assistance, you reach out to your MCO and working on some of those provider relationships to make sure you're getting what it is that you need. Also, you have the ability to tour a facility. Your MCO should be able to assist you with doing that as well. And then also, if any of you have, uh, which one he's going to talk in greater detail about as we go on here about the transitional work program, they should also have a copy of your transitional work program, make sure they're familiar with it. They will also, some providers will come to your facility um, versus you going to tour their facility. They'll come out to you or vice versa so that they'll become familiar with what you guys do at your place and then how your transitional work program fits within those jobs, et cetera. And believe it or not, I know sometimes it may be hard to, to um, think of this, but you're a partner as your, your supervisor and your employees, really making sure that they are aware of what the expectations are as far as if someone's injured, the timely reporting, 
do you guys offer, whether it be light duty or transitional work, to get them back to? And then the, do they have the tools that they need? So we're going to want to make sure, um, again, we're going to talk about this as we move forward, but, you know, do they have accessibility to electronic injury packets? Do they know what to do when they're injured? Do they know where to go and what your policy is? That's going to be very important. We also want to make sure, as I mentioned, about the training piece. If they need to have, you know, whether it be online, you know, Nick talks all the time about the, all the trainings that the Bureau offers. I think that that is something that's very important to staff is just keeping up with that training. I feel like we've forgotten some things as we've gone over the past year. Um, I, I, I look at myself all the time and I'm like, okay, what did I actually do in the last year? And so kind of going back and just saying, okay, do I make, make sure every, everyone's updated with their training? Do we have a schedule in place? Let's make sure we're keeping everyone. If not on track, let's get them back, let's get them back on track. The accident investigation process is important when it comes to your supervisors and to your employees. If there are witnesses, et cetera, and getting all those forms completed and getting them turned in in a timely manner. And then um, this also may be a good time if you did not have a safety team in place. Maybe now you think about doing that. Again, you might might be start, everyone might be going back in and being back on the floor or back in the office. We may want to, you know, rethink that, getting that safety team together. Nick and his team are really good about assisting and setting up any of those protocols should you need them. And then we get down to your legal team. And unfortunately, there are times where we need to refer to them. And I would say that um, the legal representation that you have, your counsel, um, make sure that they are familiar with not only, um, you know, the employment issues, but also workers' comp. Um, and that they can rely on their team um, as far as the TPA, if they're talking about settling, um, you can reach out to the TPA to, to, to share some numbers with them as far as uh, good settlement figures. But then also making sure that your legal is familiar with your company's philosophy. And again, that accessibility is really important. And then as far as the associations go, um, here we are today. Um, you guys are still involved with your safety council, which is awesome. Um, I tell everyone this is, uh, you know, Wendy and I attend several safety councils um, throughout the state. And um, by far, and I'm not saying that just because I am, you know, um, on this on this steering committee, um, but this is probably one of the best safety councils in Ohio. So right there, you guys are, are making a, a great, um, you know, commitment to the group. Um, but also, so looking locally to chambers or, um, you know, it's unfortunate that we can't all be together, but maybe there's some similar, similar industry companies that are around you that you may want to reach out to. Um, I'm going to throw Matt's name out there because I saw him out there. Matt, who, is, who has also been a former steering committee member, he is a great resource to have. Bob Campbell over at Viking. So we have a lot of great um, people, um, and that are involved in the safety council that you can, you know, feel, feel free to reach out to them if you have any questions about kind of getting things going or off the ground or what are they doing now because of, you know, the COVID, et cetera. So Wendy, I'm going to turn it over to you. I think that was all I had for the partnership roles. And I couldn't agree more with Debbie about the Portage Safety Council and you all just continue to, to roll with everything. It's hard to believe we're coming up on a year. Um, I remember it clearly March 13th when everyone's world just kind of changed. Some of us have blocked it out. Some of us remember that day. But um, many of you, your environment may have changed. Some of you have just continued to march along and it's been business as usual. Um, so again, for some of you that have, have continued on and, and for those that have not and, and see a different work environment, one of the things you, you may have recently had claims activity, injuries, some of you may or may not. Um, but pulling out those injury packets, looking at your documents, um, if you've recently had a claim or perhaps you haven't, um, what do you have on hand? Um, have you looked at that information uh, lately? One of the things that Debbie and I always recommend is regardless, taking a look at what you have on hand. Um, you have an injury. Do you have an, uh, injury packets? What do those look like? Do you have hard copy version, electronic copies of that? And that may change. You may have always done it uh, paper format. You pass it out at the at the office, the plant, or, or wherever your place of business is at. But now it may be electronic because, again, uh, you have employees who are working staggered shifts. Maybe everyone's not working together. You have people separated. Um, but what do you see in that packet? Um, have you looked at your first report of injury? 
Have you looked at your internal forms? What does your internal accident report look like? Uh, your supervisor report. And in talking about the supervisor report, uh, who's completing that paperwork um, and making sure that that's taking place? Witness statements. Um, also the medical release. And then your provider panel. Um, Debbie touched on that before. Um, some of you may have established a provider panel. That may look different today. Um, where are you with your providers? Have you reached out to them? Uh, maybe you have not continued that dialogue. Um, some providers we have found uh, shut down temporarily. Some of the emergency rooms, the ERs, urgent cares were not accepting uh, patients. Uh, some of them changed hours, some of the urgent cares, and we're starting to see those facilities reopen. Um, reaching out to your MCO and talking about that. Um, are those providers that you were initially using for injury care, are they still providing injury care? And then also, what are their protocols? Um, can you just send someone over to the urgent care or do you need to call ahead? Um, what what sort of um, guidelines are now in place with the COVID? Um, so just starting to think about that is very important. And again, pulling out those um, um, injury packets. One thing that Debbie and I do is we provide the hard copy packets and then we also provide an electronic version um, where you can actually receive that and, and just store that on your local intranet. Uh, where your employees would have access to that, regardless of who is in the office. Um, and then also filing the claim online, um, checking with your MCO, and do they have the option to uh, file that injury online uh, is very important, again, and just making sure those forms are updated. And then getting back to the training um, and bringing the employees together, um, you're still able to provide that training. It just may look different. So once you've updated your forms, you've reached out to those um um, individuals that have helped you develop that information. Um, what does that training look like? Um, would it be in the Zoom format, small groups? Um, some of the things that Debbie and I are doing with our um, employers is looking at maybe we can't come out and do the large classroom trainings that we have done in the past, but we can do the smaller groups. So maybe you're bringing the employees in and um, you're doing it in groups of 10 or 15 um, and so forth. But again, just making sure that they're getting that same information and looking at at that. And that is definitely something that you want to offer, um, you know, on a regular basis. Uh, one of the things we do is provide that at the first of the year and with our um, some of our public ent entities, specifically school districts, we do that at the beginning of the school year when school, um, when they're doing their um, school-wide training. Um, so just keep that in mind. And then again, looking at that provider network and, and what that looks like and, and making sure that those providers are still available and you do still have access to them. Um, it is always good, regardless, to take a look at the provider and make sure that it's working for you. Um, as Debbie said earlier, you know, you are the customer and uh, making sure that you share the same philosophy, uh, that your employees are getting great care and that they understand your internal program. Um, we'll touch a little bit on transitional work and, and the benefits of that and what that means, but making sure that they understand uh, the type of work that you're performing and that they also understand your return to work philosophy, whether you accommodate restrictions, that you can bring your employees back and, and what that looks like. Um, many of the providers, if they are an occupational health provider, a true health provider, can actually come on site and take a look at the different jobs that you have. And that's always helpful. And it does help um, give them an understanding of the type of work. We all know we have the employee who goes in and says, oh, I have to lift 100 pounds five hours a day, and that may not be accurate. So again, inviting those providers um, on site and looking at your place of business and understanding how, um, how those positions work. Um, telemedicine, this is something that many of us are becoming familiar with. I would say it was fairly new prior to COVID. People were probably using it more in their personal lives if they had a cold or the flu and maybe didn't feel like driving over the urgent care. They dial up, you know, through their app and and see a physician. Now um, we have the opportunity with BWC that that um, service can be offered to our injured workers. Um, and it looks like that will be something that will um, stay permanent, remain with us. It's a, it's a great option. Many of the existing occupational health facilities are now offering that. And essentially what happens is instead of your employee having to leave work, they can actually uh, visit with a physician through uh, um, some sort of mobile device. It can be um, a smartphone, it can be an iPad, it can be a company uh, computer. We have seen a trend where employers are, are are starting to use that, not only during normal business hours, but as an option for after hours. So many of the facilities that offer it, um, you have greater access. You're able to um, 
utilize that second and third shift. So that's uh, very important to look at. Um, again, many of the providers are offering that. It's available and it's paid through the claim. So it's very similar um, as if they went to the normal occupational health facility. Um, most of the time, it's a, it's a trained occupational health uh, provider. Um, everything is billed through the claim and the injured worker for the minor injuries are able to see the physician. Uh, there's a little bit of technology behind it where they would be required to have a login, sign on, download the app. Um, a lot of our employers are actually opting to download it onto a company device using their own uh, iPad or laptop or some sort of a computer device. So that has worked incredibly well. And again, I know in the Portage area, you are a little bit limited with providers. So that may be something that you want to do a little bit of research on. Uh, definitely reach out to your MCO. They can provide assistance with that, set up uh, meetings and, and walk you through how that works and what that means. Um, what we're seeing is most lacerations, sprains, strains, and so forth um, can be covered and treated through the telemedicine. Um, and I, I would expect that to continue um, to catch on. And, and, and what we have found is the employer likes it, and it's also convenient to uh, the injured worker as well. Transitional work. Many of you may have a current program. Some of you may not have a program. A lot of times you hear people go around transitional work, modified duty, light duty. Um, essentially, it's a return to work program. Um, so there's several different options. Um, the Bureau has a gr uh, great grant program available to employers. Um, you can apply at any time. It does cover 75% um, of the cost. We are hearing some rumors that that may change and uh, there may be a bigger reimbursement for the employer. And if you've used it in the past, you may be eligible uh, for new monies. Um, but it is a program, um, a grant program that you can definitely take advantage of. And um, if you do apply for that, your MCO can help walk you through that. You can apply right online. Um, you would work with a certified transitional work developer, and they would essentially develop a return to work program for you. Um, I can't um, tell you uh, how um, lucky we are in Ohio to have that grant money available and encourage you if you don't currently have a program on file to take a look at that, talk to your MCO reps and see if it's something that might uh, make sense for your, your place of business. Some of you may have taken um, advantage of that in the past. Um, you can definitely check with the Bureau, the Transitional Work Department down in Columbus, um, and they can actually take a look at your policy number and determine if that is something that you may have used in the past. Some employers back years ago, um, when the uh, transitional work grant was uh, initially introduced, took advantage of that um, and may have since, um, just through changes, um, not no longer have the manual or the disc or the, or the policy in place. But check with your MCO if you're not sure if you ever used the grant in the past. They can reach out to the Ohio BWC Transitional Work Department and they can take a look at whether or not you took advantage of that. They may also have your program on file. I think a year into the initial grant program, the Bureau started um, storing those documents. So it may be something that they have um, available um, and can give you access to if you're not familiar on whether or not you, you've used it in the past. Um, so essentially, when you develop the transitional work program, again, it is a return to work program. Um, and again, the BWC will reimburse up to 75% based on the size of the employer. Um, if you are, if you took advantage of it and maybe your program needs updated or um, you didn't take advantage of it in the past, but, but you'd like to develop something, but you're um, not sure if you want to use the, utilize the grant right now, reach out to your MCO. They can help you um, develop a program. Um, they can help you write the program, um, look at, you know, again, developing a manual, um, and putting those, um, putting those key, um, key policies in place. Uh, one of the most important things, again, with, with the transitional work is, um, again, having a consistent policy, um, uh, working with your team um, to make sure that it, it, it again, is offered. Um, you can also, within the transitional um, work program, you can include on-site therapy, different things like that. Um, many of you that may or may not be familiar with on-site therapy, what happens with that is if you do have someone who is released to come back to work in a modified uh, position, uh, an on-site therapist can come on site and work with your employee. So instead, instead of sending them to an actual facility and taking them away from um, the uh, work site, the uh, physical therapist can come on site and provide that therapy on site to them. 
Um, it is much more effective by bringing the therapist on site. It's paid through the claim, so it's not an additional cost to you as the employer. It is being paid through the claim, but they're using their um, job tasks to help transition the employee uh, from their modified position to their full-duty position. And it really can be used in any industry. Um, I've seen it used with truck driving, um, you know, nursing homes, you name it. Um, it is a very effective program. And again, it is paid through the claim. You as the employer can initiate that with the therapist or your MCO can also help you with that as well. Um, and it also is covered under presumptive laws. So many of you who handle the day-to-day workers' comp claim management are probably familiar, again, with the C-9 being approved, presumptive law. Um, that service is also included in that as well. Um, so it is a great program. If you have any questions, Debbie and I are available, or you can always reach out to your MCO as well. Um, what happens when you are not able to accommodate restrictions um, at your place of employment? There is a program called Offsite Modified Duty, where if you do um, or you're not able to accommodate restrictions, you're not able to return your employee um, to your place of business, you can actually reach out to your MCO and they can help identify work within a nonprofit organization. So a lot of times we see this um, um, opportunity or um, necessity in um, trucking, the trucking industry. So it is something that's been used for years um, in the truck driving um, industry, but you have an employee who you'd like to bring back to work and maybe for whatever reason you don't have modified duty based on the restrictions, it might even be a situation where, again, with COVID, you're a little bit slower right now. Maybe you're not as busy as you have been in the past, um, but you'd like to bring the employee back to work. So what happens is your MCO, again, can help you with this. There are some providers that offer this as a service, but it is a fee service typically when you're getting a third party involved. Um, so depending upon, again, your MCO and your vendors that you're currently working with, they may be able to provide that at no cost to you. Um, but essentially what they do is they take the restrictions and they contact nonprofit organizations or other places of business and they locate a position for your employee uh, within their restriction. So an example, um, Haven of Rest in Akron, uh, they are a offsite modified duty location that we will use a lot of times for our employers. Um, so you have the employee, they're released to return to work and um, you're not able to bring them back to work. So um, your MCO calls um, Haven of Rest. Uh, they set up a position for the employee to come in and they perform whatever the job, the, the work that needs to be done. Um, one of the things that Haven of Rest is uh, with their type of work, they have people who may fold silverware or roll silverware and do things like that. Um, we've had people placed at Goodwill, the Salvation Army. Um, so the employee, instead of reporting for modified duty at your place of business, they're actually going to the nonprofit organization and they're working there. Um, it is a great program. It stops temporary total from being paid. It controls the cost on the claim and it also prevents the reserve, the claim. So again, it, it's a great program. You as the employer are still making the job offer to the employee. You're still paying them. The employee is expected to report to work. They're given a shift. They're giving a time to report. And uh, they're required to follow the same workplace policies and procedures that they would follow at your place of employment. And again, it is a great program. We use it quite a bit, Debbie and I, both with our employers. And, and again, just a great option when you don't have work for the employee to, to provide. Getting into implementation. So again, we talked about, you know, the grant, uh, transitional work program, on-site therapy, off-site modified duty. But how do you implement all of this? So again, having that policy and what that looks like, clearly writing out what you're able to offer. You're able to offer modified duty, writing those procedures out, making sure you have buy-in from your employees, making sure that your supervisors are well aware of it. So just to give you an example, as far as implementation goes, you have someone who gets injured at work and they go to the identified provider for treatment and they come back with their restrictions. What happens then? The employee should know ahead of time that you do accommodate, but in some cases, maybe they were not familiar with that. They should be reporting back to you, letting you know what happened. I was injured at work. I've now been released to return to work, You know, whether it be full duty, modified duty. In this example, we use modified duty. So they come back to you and, and they 
tell you, I, I can't perform all of my job duties, but I, I am released to do something. So what do you do at that point? You're pointing out that transitional work program that you had developed either through the grant or perhaps your MCO helped you write that program. And you're looking at um, what they're able to do. What sort of job duties? Ideally, you would want to take job tasks from their full duty position. That may not always be possible. So you may be looking at putting them in a different area, in a different department. If we have any public entities on the line, you're going to probably be looking at union contracts and so forth and where you can move people around. But you're letting them know, hey, we are going to bring you back. We're so sorry you were hurt, but you're an important team member and we want to make sure you get back to work. You want to make sure this is done right away. You don't want to have time passed. You don't want it to be a week or two weeks. The idea of the transitional work program is to make sure that they're getting back to work right away. We want to prevent the claim from going lost time. Um, lost time claims are obviously the most expensive, so we want to keep that to a modified duty position. So as soon as they go off and they receive their treatment, they should be reporting back that same day to the supervisor or the human resources department, here are my restrictions. Most of the time, the employee is going to get that first. You will receive it from your managed care organization. You may also receive a copy from the provider. But 99.9% .9 of the time, when the employee goes to the um, occupational health facility or the urgent care, they are going to get some sort of status update. They are going to be told what they're able to do or not do. So it, it is rather suspicious that they come back and say that they don't have that. It is a BWC certified provider. They are required to follow the rules. Um, sometimes it gets a little tricky in the emergency rooms. They write it on a script, but they're given some sort of discharge instruction. So they're going to bring that back to you. You always want to make sure that it is clear that you want it that day. So again, if they're going in the evening, late in the day, that's a different scenario. But you know, if they're hurt at nine o'clock in the morning and they go off to the urgent care, things are going to be wrapped up by, by noon. Um, so they're going to know what their status is. So you want to bring them back in. You want to sit down and talk to them about what that looks like and let them know that you're going to offer them a position. You always want to have a verbal conversation with the employee to let them know what the expectations are. And then everything you talk about, you also want to put in writing. You want to make sure that you send that out via U.S. mail. And I always recommend sending it out certified. Sometimes when they come back quickly, you may feel as if you don't need to do that. But it's always that 5% of the employees who maybe refuse or do not come back that will be your problem. And you'll need that documentation later on. So again, you're letting them know, hey, we're bringing you back to work. We're able to accommodate restrictions. Here's your work schedule. Here's what you're going to be doing. And you are required to follow the same rules and policies that everyone else is, is required to follow. So that really should not change. Should they require time off? And all this information will be in your program. That's why we really promote that you develop a formal program, whether you go through the grant program or you develop that with the assistance of your MCO. All of this documentation and detail and resources will be in there as far as the letters, positions that they're able to perform as they transition. So again, you want to make sure that you are very clear, that they understand what they're going to be doing. You also want to make sure their supervisor understands what the expectation is. And again, that supervisor should be familiar with your transitional work program. Uh, they should have received training on it. So um, it should not be news to them when the employee comes back working transitional work. So you want to make sure that the supervisor understands that this person is uh, released to return to work. They're working in a modified duty position, the hours that they're expected to work again, because and sometimes you get into those situations where the employee's like, oh, I'm not feeling good. I'm going to take the day off. And then it's not clear if it's workers comp or what's going on. If you do make an offer and you give them, you know, again, their schedule, they are expected to report to work. There is no exception. Do not be afraid because it is a workers comp claim. You always want to make sure you separate the workers' comp claim from the employment issue. So if you do have a situation where the employee is starting to call off or come up with different, I lost my homework, you know, the dog ate it type situation, you want to make sure that you make that very clear. Keep those separated. If they are released to return to work, it is expected that they are there. So unless they come to you with an excuse keeping them off work, they should report to work. And this documentation, again, will come will become important should the claim or, or should the situation go south. The other benefit, again, in, in having that formal transitional work program is when you do bring them back, if they do require physical therapy, that's where you can also have that written into your plan where you're offering them the on-site physical therapy instead of them leaving. And the Bureau actually has statistics on hand. So if you're not very familiar with the on-site therapy, 
they do track therapists and their success with injured workers. So it's kind of interesting when you start taking a look at the different physical therapists, it will, they will give you the information on cost and um, basically their success with your employees. So that's always interesting. Uh, Debbie and I always follow that very closely. She's really good with stats and, and that sort of information. But it is interesting when you start taking a look at that. So again, you have them on site. The goal is that they're transitioning. So as they move along through the claim, their restrictions should always be moving. And that's why we call it transitional work. I don't like to use light duty. I tell people, please don't use that word. This is transitional work or modified duty. We want them to be progressing. And that should be written into your program. So as they return and they're performing their job duties, every time they go back to the physician, they should be able to do more and more. If they are not progressing, that should be a red flag to you as the employer. Something else is going on. Whether it's objective or it's subjective data, there is some reason they're not progressing. Maybe there's more going on with, with the injury. So again, as they continue to move forward and they're working and they're following up, they should be progressing. Um, we typically do not recommend, and this again would be written into your transitional work program, is that you go over 90 days. You really should not be accommodating restrictions over 90 days. You want to give yourself the opportunity to extend transitional work, but anything that would go on beyond that would be questionable. Um, if you have a situation where you have an employee that maybe had a surgery or had some circumstances that may warrant um, continuation of the program, that would be that would be one thing. But keep that in mind again. You wanna you wanna kind of cap that at, at 90 days because then you're getting into a permanent position and what that looks like. And you definitely want to stay away from that. So ideally the individual would go through the transitional work program, they would progress and they would go to full duty. If you have a situation where they're not, then you would want to stop the program and then you're going to let them know that you're no longer going to be able to offer the modified duty. And I would encourage you to touch base with your partners, your vendors, your MCO and your TPA and what that looks like when you stop offering the transitional work. What happens when you have an employee that refuses the transitional work? At that point, what you want to do is get with your managed care organization and your third-party administrator, and then you're going to supply the documentation that you have from your program, your letters, your job offer, and so forth, moving forward in the event that that claim goes to hearing and the employee attempts to apply for temporary total benefits. I mean, that is really the importance of, again, that transitional work is being consistent consistent and having the documentation, which leads me to the transitional bonus program, which Debbie will touch a little bit more on programs. But putting all this together, when you take advantage of the grant and you develop your own program and you offer all these tools, you can apply for the transitional bonus program. Depending upon the funding you're in, it may not may or may not be compatible but as we discussed earlier, when you prevent the claim from becoming lost time, you're already saving. So whether or not you can take advantage of the transitional bonus program, you're still going to be in a better position financially. But you can apply for the bonus program. The transitional work bonus program can give you up to 10% savings. It is a use it or lose it program. And to get into that program, you would apply for private employers. You need to have your application in by the end of May. And uh, for public employers, you need to have it in by the end of November. And again, you documents as far as uh, being approved for the program, you can have uh, taken advantage of the grant and have a transitional work program developed through the grant. You can have your own program that you developed, and that would be submitted to the Bureau and uh, reviewed. You can also take your transitional work program that you have in your current HR policy and submit that to the Bureau as well. And one of the newer things that's a bit of a controversy is if you look at the transitional work bonus guidelines, it does mention you can submit a letter from a uh, CFO or higher ranking individual in your organization. I, I want to make sure that everyone understands that even if you are sending in the letter, you still have to have a program on, on file. So even though you're sending in a letter and you're stating that you offer transitional work, you need to make sure you definitely have a program. Some employers have been under the impression that they can simply just send in a letter and state that they offer transitional work. You still have to have the nuts and the bolts of the program in place to take advantage of that. With the transitional work bonus program, again, that is a use it or lose it program. So once you are approved for the program, you will be required to submit a transitional work bonus form to your MCO. Your MCO will track that. 
So um, again, when that employee returns to work, you're off making that offer letter to them. You're giving them the documentation of returning to work. You're going to have them sign off on the transitional work bonus form. And essentially, it's an agreement that they are agreeing to return to work. That is sent over to your MCO. That gets sent to the Bureau. And then that becomes part of the claim. It's an imaged in. Again, it's a use it or lose it program. So if you do not have anyone that returns to work modified duty or don't have any claims during that policy period, you're not going to get any credit. If you have 10 claims and you have five individuals that return and use the program, you're going to get 5%. It is a great program. I would encourage you to take a look at your funding, uh, see if it's com- compatible. And if you are a private employer, look at talking to your MCO, your TPA, and getting involved in that. Again, the deadline for that is the end of the end of May. In transitional work, again, it's just always a great program. It saves you money bringing people back to work, bringing your employees back to work. It saves on cost. It prevents TT from being paid. Um, it also prevents the claim from going from a medical only to a lost time claim. And it does help morale. Research studies do show that an employee that gets back to work faster ends up staying on the job, decreases the chance of re-injury when they do um, tran- you know, transition through the modified duty transitional work program versus having them stay off work and then and then return to work. We do see more injuries when someone has sat at home and then goes back cold turkey. So it is a great program. If you do have any questions or you're not sure about, it, if you have a current program that you'd like to have us take a look at and review, we'd be more than happy to help you out with that. Uh, we do have manuals. We have the ability. My background is vocational rehab. So, you know, I'm able to help employers with that. So if you do have any questions, please uh, reach out to us. We can also help direct you to a certified um, transition work developer as well. There are several in the area that um, do a tremendous job. And again, I can't stress enough how valuable um, that grant money is. And I'm going to hand it over to Debbie right now to go ahead and cover programs. All right. So I know we are only have a a little bit of time and I know that uh, Renee has some questions. So Wendy, if you could do me a favor and pull up the compatibility chart. So, Part of getting back on course and thinking about what's going on right now, let's just real quick take a look at this compatibility chart. So for the private sector, as Wendy mentioned, for the discount programs in the private sector, the deadline date is the end of May. And for the public sector, it's the end of November, with the exception of Safety Council, which they have not announced yet what they're going to be doing, as far as I know, for the 2021 policy year. So if we take a look at this chart, Wendy, can you just scoot down a little bit? We're going to go into the orange section. So basically, we can make this chart available to you guys. Most of you are going to be either in a group rating, traditional group rating, or you're going to be in a group retro. So you can see those two orange boxes there, and you can see all the dots there to the right. When Wendy was talking about the transitional work bonus, that does limit you as far as if you are in group retro, as far as getting that discount. If you are in group rating, you can see you are able to stack a lot of these other programs. So again, most employers, that first set of boxes there is going to be the 15K, and most employers do not participate in that. The next set of boxes will be the Go Green. That is going to be an automatic discount. And that particular program, just like the LAPS 3, which is the next set of boxes, will be 1% up to $2,000 every six months. The LAPS 3, you cannot have 60 months. You have to have no lapses in. Continuing to move over to the right is going to be the ISSP or the Industry Safety Specific Program. That program, again, only allowing group rating employers, but that is where you have to do three tasks at the max within a year period of time. So you could attend a virtual class online. The Bureau has everything listed there. You can have safety and hygiene come in. Again, this is a 3%, but I would recommend that if you are currently doing that for the 2020 policy year, you need to continue with that. You need to finish it or you will not get the discount. So if you're not sure where you're at with it, reach out to Nick and he can get you the information that you need. The next set of box, which is the larger box, you can see there's group retro, there's a dot, and then above that, there's a dot to the right. That's going to be for safety council. The first dot will be the participation. The second dot is going to be on the back end. 
the Bureau decides if you're getting that back end discount or not. And again, we know for 2020, the Bureau isn't allowing those discounts, but we need to be thinking about 2021 if it is announced that it will be available. Again, we don't know how these programs are going to change, but I wanted to make sure we reminded everyone that if you are participating in the ISSP or something like that, make sure that you're meeting the requirements. And then the last set of boxes is going to be the transitional work bonus, which Wendy touched on. And I think I skipped over the drug-free box there. But again, that's only applicable if you are in traditional group rating. So again, if you need to know timeframes as far as when claims are coming and going out of your experience or want a copy of this chart or want to talk to Wendy and I any further about any of the information we have, obviously, you guys can reach out to Mike. And I think, Wendy, on our last slide, I think our contact information is there as well. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Renee real quick so we can finish up with any questions that we might have. I always get a list of notes from you guys. Awesome job. A couple of questions. When is open enrollment period? So for the MCO, open enrollment will be starting the beginning of May. And I believe it's the third. Let me look at my calendar. It's the third through the 28th is going to be open enrollment for MCOs. Again, that is the only time you can switch MCOs. If you don't do it then, you have to wait another two years before you can do it. It's every other year. Wendy, what's uh, what's the benefit of having a provider panel? You mentioned that. A benefit of having a provider panel, you have pre-established providers that you're going to work with. They know your work return to work program. So they know your employees. They know that you accommodate return to work restrictions. They're familiar with the paperwork, and they also are hopefully occupational health providers. That's ideally where you want to start with, is you want to first shoot for an occupational health physician. Worst case scenario, if you don't have access to one, then you move into urgent care. When the employee goes to the emergency room, the costs are automatically, they increase. Just to give you an example, it, you could send someone to the emergency room, they have x-rays, whatever, and you could look at $7,000 in bills by the time everything's billed for facility, the physician, and so forth. When they go to the occupational health facility or the urgent care, you're looking at an office visit type billing versus the emergency room. So again, your MCO should be helping you with that. So that is something that they can establish. Your MCO also has the ability to negotiate provider contracts, so they can pass along a discount below the BWCP schedule. So if there are providers that you're interested in working with or that you're currently working with, check with your MCO and see, hey, do you have a contract with that particular provider? You're not going to get a contract with the hospital, but with with urgent care, occupational health facility, you can definitely um, negotiate contracts. So again, that's the benefit to that. Um, And then you also establish that rapport. So again, if you have that outlying case, that may be questionable, you can pick up the phone and call that provider and say, hey, I just want to talk to you about this. Here's some information I want to give you. And you start that again, that building that relationship. Great. So how does one go about finding an occupational health provider? Like through I, would, I would start with your MCO account manager first. Everyone should have uh, someone that that is, uh, you know, that is assigned to them a customer service rep. I would reach out to that um, individual first. Now, in some cases, you may not have access. I, I know SUMA has expanded in your area and they have limited hours. And the more um, business they get, the, the opportunity will grow as far as the hours. So reach out to your MCO and find out what's available. Again, with telemedicine, that opens the door as well. And that is very easy to locate an occupational health provider that, that would um, be, be uh, available to treat your clients with the telemedicine route. Another question about what should be in an injury packet? I know we're we're running out of time here, but I think there's just yeah. two more questions. So, um, so no. with the injury packet, that should be supplied by your MCO. So there's no cost for that. And those could be hard copy. They could be electronic. You want to have a first report of injury that's customized with your information. So it should have your name, address, policy number. That information should be in there also with the MCO information. You want to have an internal accident report. So if you have a current internal form you're using, your MCO can house that and put that into the packet so you don't have to to print that and keep that separate. If you do not have an internal incident report, your MCO can help you with that. You also want to have a supervisor's report as well and a witness statement. I know a lot of times Debbie and I will throw in the medical release. That is up to you. And then also a copy of your provider panel. 
So that way, when they open up that packet, whether it be the injured worker or the supervisor sitting down and helping them fill it out, they're going to see, oh, look, here, I can go to X, Y, and Z. Here's the provider name, the hours of operation, as well as the address. And keep in mind, too, if you're a place of employment that your people are not all housed in one area, maybe they're on the road traveling, you can put those in the truck as well. And then you can also identify providers that are in different areas. So maybe you're located in Ravenna, but your people are driving to Cleveland and Akron. Your MCO can help you locate providers in the area that your employees are traveling to. I think we uh-huh. also have an, an, an anatomy form that's available. Anatomy, sure. So you can mark the body parts. The injured worker mark, you know, marks the body parts. We also will put in a med code. Sometimes employers like that to be in there. And then also a medical release that will be useful for the employer and the TPA. So we we customize those to whatever, whatever, and the the, M, the other MCO should do the same. Um, and then kind of along those lines, you've mentioned a couple times hard copy or electronic copy. Do you have to have an employee signature or do you have to have it in their handwriting? Like, how do you verify that that person filled it out and that it's uh, legitimate? That's a great question. So they do have to sign the first report of injury. And this actually recently became an issue with COVID. So the BWC will accept if they file the claim online, but it has to be through their BWCE account. So if they, if the employee, the employee either have to sign the FOI, they can do it at your place of business, they can do it at the medical facility, or they can do it online through their BWC account. That means the employee has to have their own account. Uh, they can't just go online and file the claim because when it comes into the bureau, if it, it, they have to be able to ad- identify it and attach it to that employee. And it becomes a legal issue at that point. If it is not signed or it is not an acceptable format, the claim will be dismissed. Mm. Okay, good. So where could we get some more information about that if we were questioning? Is that something else we'd go to our MCO to, to get more details? Yeah, you can touch with your MCO. Um, Debbie and I recently uh, went through this with one of our employers. So we're well-versed on it right now if you do have any questions. And I would say if you are having that issue, especially if you're a public entity or a larger place of business that maybe have people spread out, you probably want to do a training on that if you've had an an increase of people filing online to make sure your supervisors are trained to understand the appropriate uh, filing methods. Because again, it it can create a problem. Again, if the claim ends up getting dismissed and then the injured worker has to refile and it just really wastes a lot of time for everybody involved. But definitely reach out to your MCO, reach out to WRI. We're more than happy to help direct direct the employer. Thank you guys so much for that information. That's all the questions I have, or at least all the questions we have time for. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.